Good morning, church. This is Shirley. Our scripture reading for the morning is Genesis, the first chapter, verses 26, 27, and 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, today, as I said, we're looking at our second value in our series, DNA, the core of the local church. You know, every church has a DNA. Every church has core convictions and passions and values and mission. And for the next couple of weeks, we here at Mosaic, we're just going to walk ours out. You know, so last week we looked at Mosaic being gospel centered. And if you missed that, I'd say go back and listen to it. Um, but the gospel is essentially this. Because of Adam's sin, all have fallen and are lost and without hope until Christ came and he died and he rose again to redeem us and now he reigns forever. And so I'd say, say it in that differently. The gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And so you can look at this chart that we have here up on the screen here for you to see where we're going over the next couple of weeks. And so you can see where we're at today, uh, being multicultural. Last week we, were, we looked at our gospel centeredness, and you can see where we're going to be going for the next couple of weeks. But yeah, today our second value, and that is to be multicultural. And our value reads this way. We worship God by intentionally celebrating different cultures and languages so that we get a fuller picture of the kingdom. Mosaic is not colorblind. God has stamped every man, woman, and child with his Imago Dei. That's the image of God, giving them dignity and value. And therefore, Mosaic is for all people and believes biblical values should produce a heart for social justice. And so just like last week, you know, we're not going to cover that, that last part here, um, the one to split things up. Um, also because in a few weeks when we talk about our mission of acting with mercy and justice, we're going to cover what is, you know, social justice and, and things like this. And so, but to look at this week here, we want to ask the question again, where do we get all of this? Like, because this is an important topic in our culture right now that there's a tendency to think like, maybe we're just bending to the culture and, and only speaking on what itching ears want to hear. But I want to say no. We are multicultural because we believe it is a value that is deeply rooted in Scripture. Like, in fact, this is something that God has intended from the beginning. And so as we, as we looked at Genesis 1 here, uh, we, we see that this is, this is pre-fall. This is how it's intended. We're seeing God at work. And so as we look at this text and, and our value, I want us to highlight like the value of being multicultural church. Uh, and, and is the, we're going to look at the church's equality, uh, its diversity, and then we're going to look at it practically. And now, now by equality, I mean what our what our country said when it when it said that that all men and women are created equal. Like there is an equality. 
Um, but where does that co- idea come from? And I want to say right here from the very beginning of, the, of God's book in creating, he says in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, something to f- see first off is this, and I know we're not preaching through the book of Genesis, and so you may not have seen this, but, but as God has created everything, he says, let there be light, and, and boom, <laughs> like billions of bombs start exploding in the skies as he creates stars and our sun, like let there be heavens and land and water, and boom, 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 let the water swim with animals and the ground roam with creatures, and boom, 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 like they just appear. Like, it is nothing to him to create those things. But then when it comes to creating man, it says, let us make. Let us slow down and put some extra time into this. Let's craft this human being carefully. Like, like the wild thing that's happening right here, he says, let us make man in our image. And if you're wondering, verse 27, he says, create male and female in our image, in our image, in the image of God. Like, what does that mean? Like, God is creating beauty after beauty after beauty, saying all these wonderful things are good. And then he spends some extra time, extra care, creating men and women in his image. I mean, he is bringing beauty and goodness and his his very image into creation. And this is wild, y'all. Like Genesis 1.26 is is foundational. I mean, it establishes humanity's unique place in God's kingdom. Like, we're just different. God has given the human race this unique title of image bearer. The theologian Richard Pratt uh, encourages his his students, and I I would encourage you to stop and say to the person in your room right here, right now, I want you to say this right now to the person next to you, hello, your majesty. Say it again. Say it again. Why? Because, because God, the creator of the universe, is majestic. Hello, your majesty. He is holy other. He is, he is king supreme. And yet he made you and I in his image that you and I are royalty. Like we possess an, an inherent beauty and worth and dignity. And so K-Dot was right. I got loyalty, got royalty inside my DNA. I probably shouldn't have said that. But that phrase, the image of God, is what we call the Imago Dei. And it's the image of God imprinted upon your very being. And so on July 4th, 1965, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preached a sermon at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, titled The American Dream. And he said, the whole concept of the Imago Dei is the idea that all men have something within them that God injected. Not that they have substantial unity with God, but that every man has capacity to have fellowship with God. And this gives him uniqueness and it gives him worth. It gives him dignity. And we must never forget this as a nation. There are no gradations in the image of God. Every man from a treble white to a bass black is significant on God's keyboard. Precisely because every man is in the image of God. One day we will learn that. We will know one day that God made us to live together as brothers and to respect the dignity and worth of every man. And then three years later, Someone did not see the Imago Dei in King, and he was assassinated. The Imago Dei, our our inherent royalty, is something you can see all over Scripture, and it really is just the it's the best story of all the stories that that that, that all the stories come from. Like that, a king of the universe loses his bride, and he sends a rescuer to go snatch the bride from the grips of an evil dragon. 
right? <laughs> and they live happily ever after. And we see this most closely when we, when we flip from the beginning of the book of the Bible to the very end of the book of the Bible in Revelation 19. In Revelation 19:7, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. You and I are created as royalty and will one day be married as the bride to the king of the universe. That's not to say that those who don't share our faith don't have this dignity. No, no, no. No matter your faith background, whether you're Muslim, whether you're agnostic, you're royalty. Like this should just blow our mind that like no matter what, that anyone, but not just anyone, that I'm seen as royalty. Like I'm seen as precious. I'm seen as, as having this type of worth and value and dignity. Like, you're the king's son and daughter. Every single one of you. Like, our value isn't based on what we can do for the king. It's in our blood. Like, Christ, when Christ views you, he's not saying, what, you know, what can you do for me? Like, our value is presupposed. It's intrinsic. And so take, for example, the, a special needs child who is, who is going to be fully incapable of taking care of him or herself for the rest of her life. She'll need someone to take care of her for forever. The question is, is she more or less valuable than the CEO of a Fortune 500 company? Maybe that, maybe that Fortune CEO is, is a good, God-fearing woman who gives much of her money away to the poor. But, but who has more value? Well, with the Imago Dei, the image of God that's imprinted upon you, whether you perform well or not, whether you believe or not, you have that value. Like, that's why I think it's just ludicrous when Ahmad Arbery was lynched, that, that videos came out saying, but, but look, 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 he went into another's house. He might have been looking to steal. Like, why does that matter? What you do does not take away your divine dignity. Like, no one can take away your dignity. I mean, so as, as we as the multicultural church, like, we cannot ever think your value comes because of what you do or even what you believe. You're created special no matter what. Like it's, if, if it's like if I were to tell my wife, I love you, honey, because you do the laundry. I think I'd be in a lot of trouble, wouldn't you? Like if I said, that's the only reason I love you. No, I love her deep down because I love her, right? <laughs> like flip to where the, that, that, the way God views you. Does he love you because of what you can do for him? If that's true, then, then yikes, <laughs> right? Like that's spiritual Darwinism. Only the strong survive. Well, that guy is super spiritual. I could use him on my team. Um, she can pray really good, so let's get her. No! God uses us in spite of the baggage that we bring to the table. This is why like, the, the, this message inspired so many people. When Reverend Lawson, King's mentor, included these words in his sermon, he said, For at the heart of racism is the idea that a man is not a man, that a person is not a person, you are human beings. You are men. You deserve dignity. And when the protesters proceeded out of the doors of the Claiborne Temple, they carried signs with four simple yet profound words, I am a man. Simple, basic humanity for everyone, no matter what. This is why we can happily say Black Lives Matter. Are we saying we're supporting an organization? No, but I don't know why we as Christians are having such a hard time saying Black Lives Matter. Like, at the very base level, if we believe Genesis 126, we should be able to say that. 
They have the Imago Dei imprinted upon them. They, they matter, and more than matter, they're royalty. And the Imago Dei is not like a fixed pie. I think many times we see everything in terms of a pie chart. If I give one side credit or praise, it means less for my cultural group. But it's not as if affirming another's dignity means you have less of your own dignity. Like we can say black lives matter without feeling as though it strikes at our own dignity. Like in fact, when we celebrate another's dignity, we become more human. We see the pie gets bigger than we thought, going, wow, God, you're doing that? And so this leads us to the second point of multicultural. Not only do we see the equality of mankind in the Imago Dei, we see the diversity as well. God says in verse 27, we looked at it a little bit earlier. So God created man in his own image. He, in the image of God, he created him male and female. It's not as if God made all of us just one. There are distinctions. There are differences in his creation. Though that doesn't mean gradations in value. He created them male and female. He created them. He created them according to their kind. With, with, and so like God is creating us with distinction. The theologian Herman Bavanek says it this way. He says, The image of God is much too rich for it to be fully realized in a single human being. However richly gifted a human being may be, it can only be somewhat unfolded in its depths and riches in humanity, counting billions of members. What Bavanek is saying is that we don't get a full picture of God if we only understand God from people who look just like us. We only get one part of the picture now, not the whole picture. And so we're missing out. Just, I mean, just as an artist deeply cares about every individual color they paint on a canvas, so God cares about every single color on his color wheel, from black to white and every shade in between. It's because of his care for creation that he creates diversity in unity. Clearly, God isn't colorblind. But I think we can all understand why someone would say that they don't see color, right? Though, though God isn't colorblind, his gospel and his election is. There is no partiality with God. Like, we would affirm that. And, 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 and if I understand their argument, they're trying to affirm the unity of the Imago Dei imprinted upon everyone. I mean, so like, hallelujah, thank you. Someone might even say, yeah, but Colossians 3.11 says... You know, here there is not no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And so their emphasis is there's no distinction. Yes, Paul is emphasizing the equality of the creation. Amen. But at the same time, God also affirms distinctions. We see that in Revelation 7, 9, which we were all working towards. After this, this is in heaven, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne, before the Lamb. We see the, dis the distinct tribes represented in heaven. And then we see this great multitude from every nation and tribe and people and tongue. And so you still keep your, your, your native tongue. And what, what this colorblind ideology does unknowingly is it denies God's artistry. And it denies one's uniqueness and story. I mean, this is the heartbreaking part that I'm not sure others know that they're doing when they affirm this. Because if we, if we don't see color, what we're really saying is, is we don't see you. I don't see your uniqueness. I don't see what, what you've been through. I don't see your story. 
And I think every single one of us knows what it's like to have someone ignore our story. I mean, that's what really what this is all about. Every single one of us craves affection and belonging and community. We all deeply want someone to truly know us. That's why like, if someone remembers your name, you're instantly more receptive to, to hear what they have to say. It's because they took the time to hear you, to remember your name, and remember a few things about you and your story. And so you, you're receptive to them. They care about you. And so we never want to be colorblind, blind to someone's story, blind to their past or their culture, but we want to be colorful so that we could say, I see you. You. You belong here. And so on one hand, we celebrate the unity of his universal Imago Day, that there is no partiality with God. But on the other hand, we celebrate the, the differences in, in the history that goes along with his creation. But lastly, I want us to look at, you know, how does this play out practically in, in the church and in, in, in our culture? You know, what is culture? You know, I think we can, we can see that God is telling Adam and Eve in verse 28, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, which you can notice there's a very positive view of sexuality there to Adam and Eve, just be fruitful and multiply. And then he says, and fill the earth, and he says, and subdue it. Just as in creation, the Lord brought order out of chaos, humanity, as his image was to cultivate or subdue the world to his glory. That is to say, we are going to be culture makers. Webster says culture is the customary beliefs, social forms, and material traits of a racial, uh, religious, or social group. It's not talking about what is right or what is wrong. It's talking about the way one group does things or what they believe about certain things. And so do you subdue your grass every other week, once a month? How often do you subdue it? Do you, do you leave dishes in the sink or do they go in the dishwasher right away? Is one right or wrong? I may have started a fight at home right here. I'm sorry. Some of y'all may think this is absolutely right or wrong, but no, it, it, it's cultural. Like a lot of things that we do aren't the right way to do things. They're cultural. Like having a worship service in under two hours isn't the right way. It's cultural. And by making our cultural preferences normative or what we believe is right and the only way for everyone, we, the church, we, we not so subtly invite some people to come to our churches while we're inviting other people to stay away. And so let me start out by saying not every church should be multicultural. And I know that sounds ridiculous because of what we've just said, but here's why. The black church exists because the white church wouldn't allow the African-American brothers and sisters to worship equally. The black church exists because their Imago Dei was denied by the white church. And so it makes sense to worship with people who want to affirm your dignity. Like, everyone wants that. Also, I believe the church should look like its neighborhood. And if you're, if you're in the mountains of West Virginia and you're in an all-white neighborhood, it makes sense that your church is lily-white. But if you're in a neighborhood that has a greater percentage of a Hispanic population, you should be reaching your neighborhood and therefore looking like it. And yet, 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings is still the most segregated hour in America. And even in multi-ethnic churches, even, even with the appearance of, of the kingdom of God 
on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. We actually see from researcher Corey Edwards in, in her book, The Elusive Dream, referring to Martin Luther's dream. In this book, she's, her research shows that, that even in multi-ethnic churches, they, they still can't shake the dominant culture. She says many times it's like adding rainbow sprinkles to a dish of vanilla ice cream. In the end, you still just have a dish of ice cream. It's like, it's like this rubber band that we have here. Like its resting spot for every church is the dominant culture. And because we live in America, that is white culture. This is our resting spot right here. And if we're not careful, we'll always bounce back to this. We'll, we'll think this spot right here is the right or normal way, and everything else is just cultural. But our way is normal. And so, and so really, to break this tendency, we have to intentionally stretch ourselves to fight against that tendency. That doesn't mean that we stretch because we don't want to do these things or somehow it's harder or worse. It's because it's like muscle memory. It just bounces back to the way we, we, we think we, we should do it. Without even thinking about it, we are inadvertently telling some people that you're not welcome and, and you may never be welcome. May that never be the case for us as a church. Like in the church, you can see this play out practically with, with, with our language, with our illustrations that we use, with theologians that, that we quote and read and, and, and sports and maybe the humor and the level of self-disclosure and our attention span and the length of services and worship styles and emotional expressiveness. These are all things that we have to think about. Like Tim Keller, who's, who's an old white guy, he tells the story about when, when he had one of his congregants uh, bring his, his Hispanic friends to church. And, and he told his friends, he was Hispanic himself, he said, before the service, now, now you see the guy up on the stage. He's the pastor. And in spite of what it looks like, he really believes what he's saying. <laughs> That's passion for him. I mean, there are a lot of things that we do that, that aren't the right way. It's just cultural. And so we need to diversify or we're going to miss out. We're going to miss out and we will all miss out. And the only way to truly do this is for each of us to, to see the dignity and, and the royalty in one another and all the value that the Father has conferred upon them. Like it takes seeing the Imago Dei in one another to see, to see one another and to see like when we are belittling or dehumanizing one another as that striking at the core of the Imago Dei especially after, after seeing how much the Father loves us, that he would send his only son to die for us? Like, how dare we dehumanize any one group? You and I cannot, can't love anyone that we look down upon. And when the Father looked down on us, he didn't look down on us. He didn't look down and say, I'm going to strike you dead with, with a lightning bolt. He looked down on us with compassion. And he sends his son to die for us. I mean, think of the care he has. Like, how dare we doubt his love for us? It's like Dr. Karen Purvis taught Chris and I uh, that, that every single teenage child that is acting out, it, it, even if negatively it, it, doing destructive things to get attention, like what they really are longing for is for someone to see them the same way that we look at like a precious baby. I see you. Now, I know Malcolm and Desiree are holding their, their newborn, their precious child, and they're fawning over her royalty, Queen Jasmine Ida. And Dr. Karen Purvis says, that's exactly what every child is longing for. The goal is to see the, the precious child beneath the survival strategies, to let them know we see them. 
And I would say you and I long for that too. We're longing for someone to hold us and to say, I see you, you're precious. Jesus shouts this to us by creating us in royalty, your, your majesty. And he dies for you in his first coming and will invite you to a royal wedding with his second coming. Hallelujah. Being multicultural is a necessary outflow of the good news of Jesus Christ. Because if we assume any part of our own culture elevates us, then we just haven't understood the gospel. Like, the gospel humbles us, and it reminds us that we're all equally guilty and in need of a Savior. No amount of wealth, class, race, gender, cultural background elevates us. Come to Jesus. And yet at the same time, we have a God who sees us in our story. He hears us. He knows us by name and loves us and says, I see you and I love you more than you could ever know by dying for you. We're loved by him that much. So today, come to Jesus and come and celebrate the equality and the diversity of God's multicultural kingdom. Celebrate the Imago Dei by treating every human being with dignity and with worth in our speech, and with our actions, uphold the Imago Dei by honoring different cultures and nations, giving equal weight to them. Honor the Imago Dei with how we look at the beauty of his creation without lusting after it. Come to Jesus to be truly human to what God has created you to be. Let's pray.